Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, that's my friend Maddie. She is a freshman now at IU. Um, and uh, I'm really glad she sat down with me this summer to just kind of share her story, her, her journey through, through life. And so uh, we'll talk about her a little bit more in a second. Um, but first, if we've not gotten the chance to meet, my name is Trevor. And uh, <coughs> I passed a, a really big milestone this week. I've had the privilege of being the youth pastor here at Crossroads now for 13 years. And uh, I was going through a bunch of pictures and kind of reminiscing because that's kind of what I do. <coughs> I think I'm the only one who knows when, like, when they started here on staff, but, uh, but I celebrate it every year. Um, and so I was going through pictures and I found one that's, that's really become my favorite picture of my time here at Crossridge uh, for several different reasons. And so um, it's really terrible quality. I apologize. For some reason, we didn't stop and take a good picture. Um, but uh, I also didn't tell these people I was going to put up them on stage. I told a couple when they walked in, but uh, it's fine. But this is a picture from my ordination in 2015. And uh, the reason it's become my favorite picture is because um, it kind of encapsulates a a lot of different things. But really what hit me on this day um, was just how fortunate I am um, and how much I've been accepted and been allowed to just be myself. And so uh, in this picture, I actually emailed the state office uh, and I was like, is it okay if I'm ordained with green hair? Because it's, you know, kind of a formal ceremony thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, that's fine. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I showed up. You can't see fully what I was wearing. We came straight from church because it was on a Sunday afternoon. And I was wearing dress pants. Um, and I had shoes to change into and a shirt to change into because Courtney was very clear that I needed to look, you know, like a normal adult. Um, and... I show up and I was wearing green shoes, pretty similar to what I'm wearing right now. Uh, I had a green, I think it was even a short sleeve shirt on. Um, none of the greens matched and I show up and I was like, hey, I'm gonna go change. And the lady signing the paper is like, why would you do that? That's who you are. I was like, okay. So then Courtney showed up a couple hours later and she starts yelling at me. She's like, where are your shoes? And I was like, Courtney, the, the nice lady said I didn't have to change. <laughs> she was not, uh, not happy about that. Um, and then I told the church, I was like, hey, I don't really care if you guys come down. Like, it's not a big deal. And then um, a bunch of people from our church came down and sprayed their hair green. And um, it just kind of hit me in that moment how lucky and fortunate I really am. Um, I know a lot of youth pastors who get burnt out, who have quit, who are forced to kind of fit the mold of who the church wants them to be. Um, and I just want to say thank you for, you know, for letting me be me. Um, even to the point now where I wear things that, like, don't even remotely match and uh, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not matching. Everyone's like, oh, it's just your style, right? I'm like, I guess. <laughs> That's where we are now. Um, and so I just want to say thank you guys for, for an awesome year. This is not my resignation. This is not like, <laughs> this is not where we're going. But um, I just was feeling very fortunate and blessed this week and just wanted to say thank you. Um, and so, oh, thank you. <laughs> and so back to my friend Maddie. Uh, we are wrapping up our series, Bullseye. I don't remember what it is. It's on the screen, though. Um, Rabbi Overstairs Bullseye talking about marriage, family, different things. And, uh, and I was asked to talk about family and kind of what, you know, it was very generic, but I was like, okay. And as always, I generally don't ever talk about what I'm supposed to talk about. Um, and so I was watching Maddie's journey story. I was putting it together, finishing it this week. And one of the things that really hit me and really stood out as she was talking, um, and, and we had about... <coughs> 45 minutes of stuff that she said, I think, that we cut down to six. Um, 
but she was talking, and, and what really struck me, and it was kind of subtle in, in the actual video, but she mentions her grandma a couple times and, and makes the joke about how I was in church the first Sunday I was born, I think. And, um, and then she starts talking about her struggles, but she talks about how well, I was able to have faith through them, and I think it's because that's what she saw modeled, and that's really all she knew. Um, and so as I was thinking about family, thinking about this dynamic, you know, it kind of hit me that I was thinking back to my family, and I'm 35 now, so I'm a little bit removed from living at home with my mom, fortunately. <laughs> I know, no one thought it would happen, but it did, yay. Um, <clears throat> but I was thinking back this week about, like, what are the lessons that, like, I learned from, from my parents, things that they, they taught me? And I was trying to think really hard, and honestly, I can't remember a single thing that they actually told me. Um, they did their best to lecture me every time I got... I wouldn't say bad grades, I would say a lack of effort put into school, um, which was pretty much every report card and midterm we had. Uh, so I got a lot of those. I got a lot of talks about speeding and driving and healthy driving habits, but I wouldn't say I changed my driving habits until about ticket number six. And so I don't think my parents really helped me and taught me in that area either. And so I was thinking, and, and there's a couple stories I want to share, but what hit me is, is it wasn't about what they, they told me, it was about what they modeled even when I wasn't necessarily paying attention or they weren't necessarily trying to. Um, which I think is, is what I, I felt coming through with, with Maddie's story. But, but the two stories for me that have shaped the way that I, the way I live, really. Um, the first one happened, I think, in middle school. I'm really not, I'm a little fuzzy on, on the details of the picture the whole story, but my dad was a high school math teacher, eventually became an assistant principal. I don't know what he was um, at the time of this story, but he had a student of his that had reached out to him somehow, um, and I don't know if they, if they called him or what, um, but I still remember we, he, I don't even know why I was with him, but he took me with him, and we met this student at the Firestone in the mall parking lot the tire store there, and this student was moving out of town. I have no idea what the story was. Um, I just remember her being very, very thankful and appreciative and, and saying, like, hey, I'll pay you back whenever I can. I'll send you the money. Um, and this was before, like, digital transfers of money, so I don't think she was going to mail cash. Maybe she was. Um, but I remember this all happening, and, and then she leaves, and my dad looks at me, or we're in the car driving home, and I was, like, kind of confused by the whole situation. But he just looked at me, and he's like, we're never gonna get the money paid back, but that's not what really matters. Um, this is just the right thing to do. So I guess I lied, I remember one thing my dad told me <laughs> in that moment. Um, and my dad had tried long before this to get me to understand serving and generosity. He would like sign me up for things, we would go serve together, uh, and none of those clicked. And honestly, I still hated doing all those things even after the story. Um, but that story in that moment radically shifted the way that I saw other people, the way that I saw money, um, the way that I saw just like what generosity actually looked like. And it shaped me, and I've tried to live out what I learned in that moment since then. The second story is actually kind of two parts um, that really shaped and, and modeled, or what they modeled shaped me. Um, in high school, sorry, this is going to start with a video game story, so I apologize. In high school, my freshman year, uh, 2001, I remember I was invited to a friend's house and I go over and my mind was blown because I go over to this person's house and uh, for the first time, 
I know if you're a PC player, like this is relevant to you, you're like, yeah, PC, whatever, I don't care. Um, for the first time in console gaming history, there was a game that came out that allowed you to plug consoles together and you could play in different rooms. And that game was Halo in 2001. And that game has changed my life forever. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if it's for the better or the worse. But I remember I went to a friend's house and there were people playing in different rooms in the same game. And I was like, what is this? So I go home and I'm like, mom, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, we have to do this right now. And I remember my parents went on eBay, having no idea what an ethernet cable or a router was. <laughs> And we buy 50-foot-long Ethernet cables, and we had a basement at the time. And uh, after my freshman year, starting about sophomore year, when we started to get our license, uh, almost every Friday night, the next three years of high school, we had two Xboxes in the basement, two Xboxes upstairs, somewhere between 15 and 25 people at my house playing every Friday night. Um, and my parents would, would put snacks out. They would let people come over. Um, it got really bad because it got to the point where, like, I think half the people who came over knew, like, our garage door code, and, like, they would come over <laughs> even when we weren't there. There was one time there was a pile of, like, 30 controllers just in my basement because people just left everything at my house. Um, but, like, then that translated to Sundays. A lot of these people came to church. They didn't necessarily, their families didn't come. Um, but it translated to my mom opening up our home on Sunday after church. We always had Sunday dinner. It was a big deal. Um, <clears throat> and so that became my mom started inviting whoever wanted to come over, um, which started with like one whole chicken and became two whole chickens every week, which became three whole chickens every week. Um, we started off with our dining room table that you could fit like eight chairs around, and then we set up a folding table next to it, and then that got too big, so we had to move the folding table out, and we put, I don't even know where we found it. We just had a board that we stuck between the two tables that we put a tablecloth on, and it was like, you're eating on a board. Um, <laughs> and I think we had up to like 17 people at the peak that were pretty much all just teenagers. Some of them had graduated and kept coming. Um, but in that moment, my mom <coughs> and dad were just opening their home. They would feed us do all the dishes. I mean, we were teenagers, like, weren't really helpful. Um, but what was modeled and what I learned is, like, that's just how you use your house and your resources, and you just invite people in. And I get asked a lot, like, why are you okay just letting teenagers ruin your house? And I'm like, I don't, it's all I know. Um, it's what I saw growing up. <laughs> we, we definitely broke some things. Um, never really got yelled at, uh, but... It's what, it's what I knew, and it's what I've tried to do with my life to, to invite people in. It's why Courtney and I, you know, build our house the way that we did. It's why we do things. And it, it stemmed from what I saw modeled as a kid that stuck with me. Now, there are lots of lessons that they attempted to model, like how to fix a car. I haven't fixed a car since I left my house. How to mow a yard. I bought a robot lawnmower. I, uh, I didn't learn all the lessons they wanted me to learn. Um, but the ones I think they weren't even necessarily trying to teach are the ones that just like really stuck <coughs> with me. And then it hit me this week, uh, one of those like kind of dumb moments, right? Where I was thinking about this concept, like it's not about what we say, it's about what we, what we live out. And it hit me that every single thing Jesus said, he also was living out. And then I started wondering, like, would the things Jesus said have been as powerful if he wasn't living them out? Would, would, would we have written them down? Would, would people have been willing to, to risk their lives if Jesus had just said all these nice things? And I just, I don't think we would. I don't think it would have the same impact. Oftentimes when Jesus is talking, he's actually not even telling them something. He's trying to explain what he just did 
because they were so confused by it. And so there's a few examples I want to run through here pretty quickly um, of things that Jesus said. <clears throat> so in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. So Jesus is kind of painting this picture that it's not about the worldly possessions, the things that we own. It's about where our heart is, where our treasure is, where our love is. And he says, store that in heaven and the things on earth don't really matter. Best we can tell, Jesus didn't really own any worldly possessions. Um, he kind of just lived and stayed wherever he did. Um, <coughs> kind of just walked around, taught people. It seemed like he didn't really have money. Um, you see that when the disciples are talking. Um, you see that in the way the disciples react when, when the woman breaks the expensive bottle of perfume because they're like, that's so much money. Um, you get the impression they, they really were poor. They had nothing going on. And so when he says, don't store up treasures on this earth, Jesus lived that out. Jesus modeled having nothing. And so, I mean, he also says things like, you know, sell your possessions, give to the poor, like obviously in different circumstances. But Jesus was living out the things he was saying. The next one, Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus says this. Uh, he called together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord over it, over, uh, swoop. rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. This is such a radical statement that Jesus makes right here. If you think about the Roman culture, uh, the way Caesars ruled, the way anyone ruled, honestly, you can look at today and the way people in power act. Um, people who are in power typically use their power to kind of elevate themselves. They use their power to get what helped them. Um, they used their power to pass things that made them better. Every leader we can probably think of, right, has had the nicest stuff, the biggest house, the most money. And Jesus, he comes along and he says, if you are a leader, if you want to lead people, you must serve them. Which is a concept that has spawned books and leadership models to this day. And it's a concept that Jesus lived out. He washed the disciples' feet. He healed the people who were irrelevant. He walked alongside them. He stopped and talked to the woman at the well. He does all these things to serve people. And the people tried to make him a king. They tried to anoint him. They tried to celebrate him. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Like, it's not about that. It's about me loving these people. He even, this is the example where he puts a little kid in front of them and he's like, you know, the little kid matters. Love these people. Um, <coughs> So the next example, this is uh, less something Jesus says, more something he does. Uh, Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And there's two things I think at play here. Uh, one is this idea of prayer that gets talked about. Jesus teaches how to pray. Um, not only does he teach it, but then he goes and does it. Um, the second thing I think that is at play here is the fourth commandment, um, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This whole idea of rest Jesus, every time he seems to get worn out, um, 
he withdraws, he refreshes. Even the guy who, who was always had crowds around him, always had people wanting him, always had people wanting his attention, he intentionally took time to stop, to refresh himself, and to go pray. There's lots of references about prayer and rest throughout the whole Bible, and Jesus models it. The last two that we'll read together, Matthew 5, 44. <coughs> but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The ultimate thing Jesus models, right, when he goes to the cross to back up all the things that he has said about love, about the way that we treat people, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which is what Jesus does on the cross. He prays for the people who put him there. He acknowledges that he loves them while he is on the cross. He says before he ever goes there that the greatest example of love is to lay down your life. Then he goes and does it. <coughs> and I just was kind of blown away, like, thinking through all this. Like, we talk about the things Jesus says, and, and we, we teach the teachings Jesus says, but really it's what Jesus does that backs up everything that he says. He modeled it every day. I think the reason the disciples were willing to be killed is because the way they saw Jesus live. There was no false teaching and the things Jesus did, because everything he said, he went and modeled. And I think that's really just the lesson for us, whether you are, you know, a, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, honestly, if you have any interaction with people younger than you at all, um, even as a student, as someone who's on sports teams and clubs, we are constantly an example to people. <coughs> People who respect you are looking at you and the way that you act. They're looking at what you say, but also how do you back that up and live that out? All of our actions communicate something. The decisions that we make, the lifestyle that we live, is communicating and reflecting something. But is it what we hope we are learning? Because a lot of times we teach with words and rules, and I think it's more important that we teach by the way that we live. And so what are you modeling? If we're workaholics, that models something. If we live a constantly busy life, it models something. If we're obsessed with sports, <clears throat> money, house, even stressing about good grades, um, getting too heated in arguments, like all these things, the way that we react communicates and models something. Obviously, we are not going to get it right. We are not Jesus. Um, we get it wrong a lot. Um, I also, there's kind of this other side where I've seen a lot of young people who use something that they've seen and then they use it to justify doing bad things that they want to do, um, which I think is just an extremely unhealthy reaction. Um, but what we model matters and it's significant. And if the things that we want people to pick up are the things Jesus talked about, like loving people, helping the needy, generosity, rest, integrity, honesty, peace, joy, then those are the things that somehow our life should be reflecting. Can we find joy? Can we find rest? Can we model loving and integrity even when we don't think people are watching? Because I think 
people pick up on more than we think they do. A lot of, a lot of us try to think that we're good at hiding something or um, that nobody's gonna notice or we can say this, like, uh, but, but what really matters is what, <clears throat> is what we model. We're gonna close with a verse, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It simply says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If we want our families, our friends, people in our life to know God, to know the things that God provides like Jesus said, to store our treasure in heaven and not on this earth. We must be people who model that. The Bible tells us we are reflections of God, we are image bearers of God. And I think that's a role that we should take seriously to reflect and model who God is and the way that the Bible tells us to live and prioritize. And that's how we will change lives, change communities, change the world and change your family, your friends. It comes by what we model. And so I just simply ask you, what are you modeling with the way that you live, prioritize, and value? Let me pray. God, I just, I ask very simply for us, God, to have the strength and the power to model what you ask us to live out. God, that we can have the self-control and the restraint. Um, Maybe it's breaking bad habits, God, doing you know, finally just doing the things that, that you ask, God. Maybe it's committing to spiritual disciplines. Um, whatever it is, God, I pray that we can become the image bearers that you say you are, that our lives can reflect you. 